Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just a quick thing before we begin today's podcast. Are unpleasant symptoms of digestion getting you down? Bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, indigestion, IBS, bowel dysfunction, SIBO, colitis? Well, We are now accepting new applications for our group physiotherapy program. To learn more, go to ecophysio.com forward slash group and submit an application and we will get in contact with you once we receive it to see if it's a good fit for our program. Welcome back everybody to the podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about health coaching and PCOS. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry, we will get right into it. My guest today is Melissa. Welcome to the show. Hi, Madeline. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this is a topic I don't know that I've discussed specifically on my podcast or I mean, we've I've talked about it, but not like only about this. So I'm really interested in exploring and sharing with my listeners a little bit more information. Uh, But before we like dive into like what PCOS is and all of that fun, interesting information, I'd like to know a little bit about you. And then we'll dive into the content. Yeah, sounds good. Um, So I, I'm a health coach. Um, I'm also Singaporean. I moved to LA two years ago. So I got, you know, into this whole health and wellness field because um, I was like kind of working out and then my friends were like, oh, you're so inspiring. And then so I became a personal trainer, actually, and for like two years and I didn't, it kind of didn't align with me fully because I felt like all my clients were trying to work off their stress and their anxiety and their, you know, bad diet and all that. and they it almost felt like they were trying to come to me and just work out so that they could feel better about themselves. But, um, and then, you know, they would go back into like patterns of like, you know, bad sleep and all that. So I felt like I wasn't really helping them. And in the end, it felt like me working there was very much about making money for the gym. Cause all they cared about was like, you know, sell this amount of classes And, you know, sometimes I felt like my way of approaching things, like I would have my clients like, you know, lying on the ground and doing grounding work and breathing. And my train, my boss was like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, they're like more of like bodybuilding and like, you know, get your clients to do this or whatever. So I felt like my, my, um, my style and my work wasn't really aligned right to the environment and to myself and I felt very burnt out I would work like 6 a.m to 10 p.m almost every single day um so that was that was kind of a shift for me and I started to become a health coach instead because I was like I think I need to help people you know well-rounded holistically and that's basically how I kind of operate my own practice right now too it's just always looking at the person who are you not like who is your 
what is your disease, what is your condition. Um, so that's about like bio individuality. Um, and you know, I, you know, I always like to kind of just share my own experience when I'm working with my clients or um, and just have that kind of engagement because I feel like that's really important if someone wants to heal. Um, other parts about me, like I guess fun facts is like I I like to hike, I like to backpack, I rock climb, I'm a pretty active person. I love cats. Um, I met my husband on Instagram, so maybe that's a thing. Like a fun fact about me. <laughs> that's super cool. Yeah, that's I think it. that's like the first person I met who said that. But I mean, any oh, yeah. anything is possible, right? Anything can happen at any point in time. Yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about PCOS and maybe we can talk about, you know, what it is and what kind of got you interested in this topic specifically. Yeah. So PCOS was kind of a, um, it was kind of personal for me because I have PCOS myself. So when I first started my health coaching journey, you know, I was very like fresh out of school and I started to do like this whole general, like I can help you lose weight, but like everybody wants to lose weight, even though, you know, they have all this underlying conditions. So um, I decided to niche in PCOS because I have PCOS myself. Um, and I'll just give you a little bit of background about my story. So it was about when I was like 20, I was in university and I started to bleed a lot, like for a whole month or two months straight. And it wouldn't stop. Um, it wasn't very heavy, but it was just, you know, continuous. And I knew that this was not something that was normal. So um, I went to the gynecologist and she said, you know, you like they did all the testing and all that. And we can talk about that later, too. Um, and then she said, you have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I was like, what is that? Like, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, just tell me what to do. And I think this is what women feel as well. If they don't know anything about their condition, um, whatever the doctor tells you, obviously you'll do it because, you know, you want to like help your body. So she prescribed to me the birth control pill. And I went on the pill for about four and a half years. And, um, and the pill, you know, it was like pretty nice, right? In the beginning, I was like, oh, like, I, like, I, I can all, I'm, I'm only bleeding for a week now. I'm not like bleeding every single day. It's not messing up my vacation days, not messing up, you know, my entire just day-to-day -day living. Um, but then after about four years, you know, going in for scans and being like, okay, just continue the pill. I asked my gy gynecologist, like, when can I get off this? Like, you know, does it affect my fertility? Um, like, I don't, I don't really, I, I wasn't that kind of person who wanted to depend on medications. You know, I didn't want to wake up and be like, I have to take this today or this week. I, I'm not supposed to take this. So I, she told me like, it's not going to affect your fertility. And for now, you're just going to take it for like the rest of your life. As long as you're still capable of like reproducing. So then I wasn't very happy with that. And I actually didn't go back to her because I felt like she's not really helping me. And I was just another patient. So I just went off the pill by myself. And obviously, I didn't do my homework because I had all my acne come back. And then I had a lot of painful cramps. And I was like, what is happening? And uh, my blood flow became very heavy. 
heavier than, than normal. Um, so I was really struggling. And um, I, for the first time in my life, I went on painkillers, you know, for my painful cramps. And I never used to do that. I'm, I'm not really like a painkiller sort of person. Um, so I didn't really like that. And, you know, but eventually I kind of like, you know, did research, kind of figured it out. I was a health coach. Well, I was going into health ish by then I wasn't a health coach yet um and I I started using like maca which is like a herb from Peru and it actually really helped to kind of regulate my periods and over time I stopped having painful cramps and I started to have like a regular period and it kind of became better so then through the experience I was like okay there's some things here that I've learned and you know there are a lot of things that I can learn more and I think I want to help women who are in a similar situation, understand more about PCOS or what can what they can do about it. So that's how I got into that. Okay. Um, yeah. So PCOS, to answer your question, is a very multifactorial, you know, multi-complex disorder. Um, it's usually linked to metabolism because a lot of PCOS women has insulin resistance. Um, but I, I like to also think that, you know, sometimes it's due to like a lot of inflammation underlying um it's also due to like you know some people go on the pill and then after the pill they have sort of like pcos like symptoms for a while so i think the root cause is very individualistic to the person Mm -hmm. and so it's polycystic ovarian syndrome so what what exactly does that mean like yeah there are cysts in the ovaries yeah, it's really weird. So like, so for them to um, diagnose someone with polycystic ovarian syndrome, you first you have to have polycystic ovaries, which is basically when they do an ultrasound on your ovaries, you know, they see like a string of pearls, like little kind of like, they're basically follicles that never developed, in, like never matured into a follicle that releases the egg, right? So a classic symptom of PCOS is not ovulating. And that is why, because the, you know, if someone's listening to this, you can imagine like a follicle is like, you know, slowly growing, but it's never up to a point where it ruptured. Um, so you have all these like leftover follicles and it looks like pearls on the ovaries. So that was one criteria that doctors use uh, for a diagnosis. Another one is elevated testosterone. So, um, you know, higher than average or like, I guess, normal levels for females. Um, and that's where you get like excess acne, especially on the jawline. Some people have like hair loss, you know, excessive hair growth on like other areas that is not wanted. Um, and the last one is irregular periods. So like, yeah, basically, you know, maybe like me, like periods that are prolonged or some people, most of the time it's periods that you don't ovulate or you don't actually get a period for a long time. Um, and sometimes, you know, that can be confused with another condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is like not having a period for like a year, I think. Um, so it's, it's. And it's kind of like, it's very individualistic, as I said, because not everyone who has PCOS has this polycystic ovaries and not everyone has like an irregular period. So sometimes it's like, you know, misdiagnosed, especially like teenagers, for example, like, you know, when they're young, their periods are just kind of starting to come out, they're adjusting, right? It's very erratic. Um, But actually a lot of 
them get diagnosed with PCOS and they go on the pill even before their body, you know, kind of like normalizes. So that just kind of screws them up uh, in the beginning. Um, and then also some people, you know, they don't, they might have PCOS, but like they don't get diagnosed because they have a regular period. So it's kind of like complicated in that sense. It's, but yeah, the name itself is just about the polycystic ovaries, which now, you know, people are saying like, that's kind of a, not a, like, kind of a shitty name because some people can't have normal ovaries, but they have PCOS. So it's a little complicated in that sense. But as long as you have, you know, the like irregular periods and kind of acne or some kind of testosterone like symptom, then chances are you might have uh, PCOS. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a variety of, you know, symptoms. Uh, showing up. And I'm curious about, you know, obviously in your experience, like things that you may have found helpful for managing symptoms or things that you have have found helpful for somebody who might be experiencing certain symptoms. um, If you could share about that. Um. Okay, so like, sorry, were you, you were saying like treatments for certain? Symptoms? Well, you were saying that you, like there are certain symptoms and there are solutions. Yeah. Like, so right now, like from what I've gathered, you know, one of the solutions is birth control pill, right? right. So what are okay. others, you know, what are some other potential, you know, solutions for, you know, you also said like pain medication for cramps and, mm. you know, uh, so yeah, a little bit of, I guess, um, treatment or like management or, uh, you know, different ways that, you know, symptoms might show up and what people can perhaps do about them. Got it. So, you know, I would kind of classify this as like a standard or common or conventional kind of treatment, um, you know, not looking at diet or lifestyle. So yeah, obviously, if you have some painful cramps, you know, the first thing you would do is go to like, painkiller um if someone has acne it's very common to be like prescribed like some kind of acne medication like spironolactone is a big one um i was on it too actually for a while um and then you know like yeah the birth control pill is another one unless you know someone wants to have an iud that's also an alternative um i've heard of that so i guess those are just like the basics like uh that you know, if someone goes to the doctor or gynecologist, then that's what they would get. Like, they are basically treating like, oh, you have the symptom. Okay, take this. You have the symptom, take this. Like, even though you have PCOS, like, but then they would just tell you, like, I remember my gynecologist would tell me, like, don't eat too much sugar and make sure you don't get weight, gain weight because you have an increased risk of getting diabetes. Also, I have a family history of diabetes. Um, but that's basically, that's kind of all they tell you. And then, you know, I've seen women in like Facebook groups, they're like, like, should I do IPL, like hair removal? Like, what should I do to get rid of all this hair? I don't want to go out in public because I have like a beard, you know, I have a stash, that sort of thing. It really affects like someone's body image and like confidence issues. Um, So, you know, and like those kinds of issues, we obviously have to dig deeper because there's you know some uh, imbalance with the hormones that we need to address and of course like what's their lifestyle like what's their diet like you know we have to address that as well mm-hmm. so I want to talk about the menstrual 
cycle and PCOS and like if somebody's kind of like looking to monitor their cycle, like what are some important things that they would be looking for? Well, I can talk about this for a long time, but, um, you know, just to kind of keep it relevant to PCOS. So the main thing with PCOS um, is actually ovulation, which is the key event in the menstrual cycle. Um, I think the period or, you know, the menstrual phase is very much talked about because it's associated with PMS and all the painful cramps and, you know, everyone's talking about like bleeding and blah, blah, blah. So that comes up as like a really key event. And then when, you know, ovulation, like no one really knows about ovulation unless you're trying to get pregnant (laughs) or, you know, maybe if you have PCOS, but you don't ovulate. So, um, yeah, I just want to kind of focus in about ovulation because I feel like that's something we need to monitor, especially if you have PCOS. So just to be clear, if you're on the birth control pill or any kind of hormonal contraceptive, when you have your quote unquote period, when you bleed, it's not a true period. It's called a withdrawal bleed. It's basically your estrogen is rising to a point where it's just causing the lining to bleed, but you didn't make progesterone. So progesterone is only made after you ovulate. So when we talk about true periods, it's when you ovulate and then you you know, shed the, the lining. Um, and ovulation is really important in that sense, if you think about it, because it's the way we make sex hormones. One of the main ways we make sex hormones um, particularly like progesterone and progesterone is very uh, helpful not only you know to thicken the lining for possible implantation but it also helps to like calm the mind um, it helps like it's actually like an anti-inflammatory you know hormone so uh, and it also helps with bone health obviously so um, yeah when you know when women don't ovulate it's not just about like yeah, you know, I don't ovulate, I can't get pregnant, um, you know, I can, I can, you know, have sex whenever I want or whatever. Um, it's, it actually really affects their health too, like, you know, moving forward, um, you know, their bone health, infl- inflammation and all that. So when I work with my clients, I help them to kind of track their cycle and tracking, you know, we we can talk about this a little bit more, but it's just basically like monitoring your mucus discharge and your base of body temperature. And it's using like fertility awareness. So it's just, you know, every day you wake up very basic, you can just kind of monitor your temperature. And then you start to see like mucus showing up like on your underwear, for example. Um, and then there are ways to like know when that means ovulation. Yeah, so that's basically uh, what it is to- to track your cycle so you're tracking ovulation why so i, I mean i understand i'm understanding that the process of ovulation allows for certain hormones to be released yeah. um what if you so in this particular syndrome are you not ovulating or is your ovulation off timing like why would you I'm just trying to understand why would you spend the time to track the ovulation like what information like what happens if you don't ovulate that's that's a really good question okay because why would I want to track that like why why would I want to do all this work yes that's a really really good question Uh, I'm so glad you asked that so yeah so like a main thing about PCOS is that 
um, you know, in the menstrual cycle, we have different phases, right? So in PCOS, our follicular phase tends to be longer. So that's why our cycles can be really long. So, you know, normally it's like, you know, 26 to 35 days for a normal woman. But in PCOS, it's not uncommon for someone to have a cycle that's like more than 40 days, more than 50. I've seen more than 70, you know. Um, and I've myself, I've had like, you know, 50 days, 45. So it can be really long. And the luteal phase, after you ovulate, the luteal phase doesn't change. It can extend more than 16 days, but the follicular phase can extend a lot. And this is because, you know, maybe someone doesn't have enough estrogen. Um, there are other hormones like luteinizing hormone or like follicular stimulating hormones not really working well, or they have too much prolactin. Um, all of these hormones, they kind of just act in sync. And when they're out of sync, you know, this is where your follicle starts to build and your body's like, okay, I'm ready to release an egg. Oh, I don't have enough hormone to do that. And then it doesn't. So it's, it keeps trying to show like you're trying to ovulate, but you can't, you try to ovulate, but you can't. So in terms of like mucus patterns, someone would see like, okay, it's kind of getting sticky or like a little more egg white-ish, which is a sign of ovulation or like, you know, your fertility window. Um, but then it goes back to being dry and then it start, it, it changes up again. So when we see that pattern, then we're like, okay, your body is trying to do this, but it can't. So then when you have a long cycle, um, it also disrupts your life because you don't know when your period is happening. And then, you know, when you're planning vacations or when you're like, you know, just even like if you want to perform well, right, in your in your work, for example, if you're, you don't know when your period is, like it can kind of be really anxious or just really frustrating. Um, and then moving forward, if you do want to ever have babies in the future and that that's going to be a huge problem and that's why PCOS is associated with like subfertility like a lot um, because yeah you just don't know when you ovulate so how can you time your intercourse and then you know you just don't know what every anything is happening <laughs> like everything's just up in the air so the tracking does seem like a lot of work um, but it's mainly telling you what your body is or your, per or your period, I guess, your cycle is trying to tell you. Like, hey, you're not making enough estrogen or you're making too much or maybe you're ovulating, but then your luteal phase is really short. Um, so that doesn't bode well too if you're trying to get pregnant later on because then you can't like, you know, you have a miscarriage basically. Um, so there are a lot of things that during the tracking, you actually learn more about your body. Um, and then, you know, like you understand that certain lifestyle factors like traveling, if you suffer from jet lag, if you're really stressed at work, you can't sleep. That also affects when you ovulate um, and when your period is starting to arrive. So I started tracking, for example, I started tracking and I realized that stress for me plays a big role in when I ovulate and when my period arrives. Um, not so much like diet or anything that usually translates into maybe more like painful cramps or PMS for me. But I've noticed that my ovulation really gets delayed if I'm like really stressed and, you know, other people are like different things. So um, that's just more about also, you know, getting to know your body more and not being like, I don't know what's happening. Right. Like that also gives someone like um, a bit of empowerment, I think. So you'd be tracking 
to get information that you can then use. So like, for example, if you're tracking, let's say for three months and like, it looks like your body's going to ovulate and it's like, okay, we're going to go there. And then it kind of doesn't happen. Then you have this information that you can take to somebody to help you then figure out how you can best support your body so that you can have ovulation actually occur. And again, so this is like giving you information that you can then use to work with a practitioner, to get to know your body, to also feel empowered that if you figure out, okay, well, certain food or certain activities or stress causes a disruption. Okay. I need to make sure that I have things built into my lifestyle to help me manage those things. And if I do, then you know, ovulation happens and it's a much easier process. If I'm understanding you correctly, would that? Yes. 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 Basically providing information for not only yourself, but then also, and you, you know, you also feel more confident, right. When going to the doctor, like you're just telling her like, this is what's happening instead of going there and being like, Oh, can you help me out? And like, you know, sometimes you're not really heard too. So yeah, that's definitely a win. So this is, so when you're tracking this though, you're tracking this when you're not on birth control. So I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong. And then like, if you are on birth control, how does that kind of like, that kind of creates a little bit of a problem to (laughs) getting to know what's sort of happening because that's being regulated by Mm -hmm. hormones like do I guess my point is in your experience you were on birth control and then you're not on birth control like what did you like what were sort of pros and cons to the you know how do you make that kind of you know how how do you make that kind of decision and like are there things you can do to support yourself that doesn't include birth control pills yeah you know yeah, it's a good thing that you mentioned that because infertility awareness, you can. So there are like two different, almost two different broad categories of, you know, when you're tracking, it's like, do you want to get pregnant or not? Right. So you kind of like split that. And so obviously for those who want to get pregnant is easier because you're just like identifying the fertility window and then you're just timing in a course for that. Um, but then when you're trying to not get pregnant, like you're basically charting for um, birth control, um, it gets a little tricky and I'm not entirely too familiar with that, but I do know that it is possible to track with the pill, but it's just, yeah, you're basically not going to get a lot of information. Um, unless you, you know, you still kind of track your mucus production. So not your basal body temperature because, you know, your hormones, yeah, they're like synthetic. So there are various ways to go about that. I've also have chatted with other practitioners who niche in that area. And they, what they do is they work with people who are not on any contraceptive except during their fertility window. So they help people to be like, okay, maybe, you know, during like your fertility window, you just use like a diaphragm or whatever during that period. And then after that, we'll work on tracking it together without it. So that's like, there are a lot of like rules and like guidelines that actually help the women to kind of be on the safe side. Um, There's actually a lot of rules. So (laughs) if someone wants to really learn that, you can go to 
there's a really good book. It's called Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. I can send you the link later on. She goes really in depth into like, you know, like this is where you draw the line or this is where, you know, where you look out for and all that. Um, so yes, it is possible to kind of um, still track your cycle while you're on birth control. Um, and I actually, you know, I have a client that, for example, she was on the IUD and she wanted to remove it. But she was very scared to remove it because she didn't want to get pregnant. And this is a sentiment that I've heard from someone else, like a friend. And so uh, what she did was she actually started tracking and she knew that it didn't really matter because she's not going to get um, uh, she's not going to get a period. Um, but she did that mainly because she wanted to feel more confident about tracking before she removed the IUD so that when she removed it, then she's like, okay, I understand what's happening. I know what to look out for. And then, you know, I'm more confident about just moving forward because it's also really scary to like, just kind of like go off, right? Like your normal birth control and be like trying to track. And then, you know, during like the first one to three months, you know, your body's also reacting from the withdrawal from the birth control. So, um, I think the confidence piece is something that we need to think about. And so even if you're on the pill, you're not you know, wanting to get pregnant anytime soon, but you just want to learn more about your body. I think tracking is a really good way to do that. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, if you want to go off it, then it's just so much easier to transition. Now, my assumption is that the birth control is being recommended I mean, I, I'm certain to some extent, yes, for preventing pregnancy, but I'm assuming it's for managing the symptoms of PCOS. So what happens when you come, you know, like come off the pill? So yes, of course, you got to think about the pregnancy piece, but I'm also, again, kind of looping back to that like treatment piece because some, you know, I assume some of those symptoms are going to return and then, you know, what are some options for regulating hormones and, you know, what are some things people can be doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, you know, when I was on the birth control pill, um, yeah, obviously everything's like kind of fine and dandy because you're just taking the pill and then you're bleeding every month and everything's okay and you know it's a, usually a go-to for PCOS because it basically helps to regulate periods and then also it kind of helps to manage some of the acne that some people might feel um the thing about the pill is that there's there are side effects so like it helps in some way but then it also has a lot of side effects that women are not educated about by their doctor so um, a big one is like um, nutrient deficiency. So like it actually strips like B vitamins, for example, like B6, particularly um, in the use of oral contraceptives. And if someone's on them for a long time, you know, they can have a lot of um, downstream effects of that. So like, you know, a lack of B6, B6 is used like to make serotonin. It's used like in the methylation cycle it is used to make bile. So all of these things kind of affect the women in such like they, you know, they might get depressed. They might have more anxiety um, due to whole, the whole serotonin imbalance. Um, they, you know, when, they're, when there's not 
enough um, opportunity to make bile, they would have problems like digesting fat, for example. And also bile is really important to move toxins out of the body. So that also comes with like, you know, gut issues. Um, And if someone already has insulin resistance with PCOS, then that would mean that she has problems you know, with her metabolism, you know, she's gaining weight, but can't lose it. And then she can't digest fat. So that also amounts to like a lot of nutrient insufficiency that she would be suffering from or struggling with. Um, And that doesn't really help like with skin health as well, like acne and all that. Um, And over time, like the hormones, they just kind of get more suppressed, right? If you take a lot of synthetic hormones, like your endogenous, like your I guess, biological hormones, they're, they're like, I don't know what to do anymore. Like if you go off the pill, then your body's like, uh, okay, I don't know, like, you know, how many levels there are. Um, so that really affects that as well. Um, and then also we have like additional amounts of estrogen coming in from like toxins. So like, you know, beauty products and um, household products, that's a whole nother topic. But these are called xenoestrogens because they can also bind to the receptors that estrogens are on, they kind of act like it. And um, there's no way to kind of test for them. So what you get is like, you have an influx of synthetic hormones from the birth control pill. And then you have like, um, you know, all of this like additional xenoestrogens from like chemicals and all that. So then your body's like kind of like, it doesn't really know what is happening. Um, And also I want to say that our ovaries are very tied to circadian rhythm. So if someone's not sleeping well, your body, you know, your ovary clock is not working well. Um, and then that's going to screw up your estrogen production and levels as well, too. So, you know, you asked me about solutions. Um, one of the basic things is starting with like food and lifestyle, obviously. So like food wise, um, I usually get women on like a whole foods um, kind of eating approach. Um, you know, the carb wise, it's kind of hard because not everyone thrives on a low carb diet. Um, I've actually seen some women benefit a little bit with moderate carb, depending on if she's active or not. So for example, for me, I've always been an active individual. Um, so I do still eat, you know, a little bit of carbs, but I do kind of prioritize like a lot of fiber, um, vegetables, those are really good in phytonutrients and also like B vitamins, for example, um, and also minerals actually. Like, so like magnesium is really great for, you know, PMS and painful cramps. It gives the body like sort of like a relaxation um, effect um, that most women would want <laughs> right before their period. Um, so solutions, um, I also mentioned maca that I use for myself. So maca is really great for like fertility, but also like it gives like a boost in energy. Um, and also I, you know, I look at like lifestyle. So for example, if someone's working with me, we work through nutrition, address any gut health issues, you know, insulin resistance, all of that. And then we move into like the stress piece. So, you know, stress affects ovulation. It also affects your ability to sleep. And I've said so before, like, you know, it really affects like when you ovulate and when your period arrives. So like, yeah, the sleeping piece is huge. And sometimes it takes like a week or two or even three to just kind of boil down on that. Um, You know, various like just 
practices that make someone happy. So I know there are a lot of like self-care strategies out there, but I'm also saying like, you know, anything that you used to do in childhood, but you don't do it now, like maybe painting or coloring. Sometimes I color by myself while listening to Disney music, like that's also kind of calming. Um, it really you know, depends on the person, but like also exposing yourself to nature, getting, you know, some kind of dirt on your hands or whatever in your fingernails, um, it's totally fine. Um, it really helps like kind of your whole body to kind of assimilate back into like the primitive self. Um, and that's going to help your hormones uh, regulate as well. Um, and the last stage would be detoxifying. So um, removing like beauty products or household products that have a lot of chemicals that, you know, kind of wreak havoc on the hormones. Um, here, I also like to talk about weight loss. So a lot of women with PCOS, not everyone, but most women with PCOS are overweight um, and they have trouble losing weight probably because, you know, not only the insulin resistance, but maybe some thyroid issue, um, adrenal issues because they're really stressed, but also because they have a lot of toxins accumulated in their body and toxins accumulate in body fat or belly fat. And so I always, you know, caution my clients, like, I know you want to lose weight, but we need to really get your fundamentals right. So then when we do approach the detox stage, you know, you're pooping, you're sweating, at least all these toxins are being excreted out instead of recirculating back into your body, um, particularly making sure that estrogen is broken down uh, safely and excreted as well. So um, those are some things that I like to do. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but like that's kind of like how I go about approaching PCOS and that's how it, you know, it's been working so far for my clients. Well, that makes, I mean, it, it, it kind of just highlights the different sort of stages and, and things that you're sort of looking at. Um, and I guess the question that I, I'll ask now is like, so from a, you know, you're a health coach. And so you kind of talked about what you do, but you know, like what exactly can you maybe talk about what a health coach is um, just a little more specifically with respect to that and like, and then again, maybe then looping back to, you know, what a health coach is and like, you know, what you're sort of doing in your process when you're in a summary, I guess, of what you do or how you work with your clients. Yeah, I would love to share that. Um, I mean, I think health coaches are kind of the future. I'm not just being biased, <laughs> um, but there are a lot of health coaches now. And so basically um, think of it like we're in, we're living in the modern world and we have all these chronic illnesses and um, there's only so much that your doctor can help you with in the office, even, you know, sometimes functional medicine doctors or naturopaths um, they do have a lot of knowledge and they can tell you like what to do and all that but health coaches are like really the ones that are guiding you on the daily basis so not like you know not like every month when you go see your doctor but like um, you know really helping you be accountable and keeping on track with their like your diet for example um, you know what if like you trip what if you have a sort of a relapse or like you know what if you're like 
uh, life happens, right? So a health coach just really helps someone address their mindset, but also have like, you know, a space, a safe space where someone can talk about their struggles. Um, not only with eating, like a lot of times actually like personal things have come up um, and other concepts of like, you know, relationships or career, um, you know, things that they actually feel stressed about, not just like trying to exercise, but like, how do I communicate my needs to my partner or how do I set my boundaries and all of these things start to come up. Um, and I never know what I'm going to get, you know, when someone comes to me and they're like, I want to lose weight, I want to do this, but like, by the end of a three to six months stint together, I learned so much about them. And like, we really work on just transforming their mindset, but also behavior through a constant engagement, having a safe space to talk about it, but also like meeting them where they're at. I think that's a really important one. So for example, if I have a client who's eating McDonald's every day, I'm not going to have that person start to cook or roast vegetables like that's not going to work uh, maybe the next step is like ordering a salad at mcdonald's um, just really baby steps obviously it depends on the person um, and then moving from there like if someone's addicted to soda what other you know better soda alternatives i can get them on kombucha right like even though it's sweet like what is like something i we can add in that's like a little bit better, but kind of just tastes the same. Um, a really big one, I think, is taste buds. Um, taste buds rewiring. So it takes about, you know, three months, two to three months for the taste buds to rewire. Um, and that's usually like pretty long for someone who's like really addicted, addicted to sweets, for example. So, you know, someone with PCOS, there's a lot of sweet cravings happening. There can be a lot of carbs cravings happening. So, you know, what can we do with that? We obviously we're putting more protein and more fat with their meals. What kind of fat, what kind of protein? Um, if you're a vegetarian, what does that look like to you? You know, some people don't eat fish. So it's very, 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 you know, based on your context. I have a client who is Mexican. So she would take all of my advice and move it into like a Mexican field. And she will introduce like Mexican ingredients, like the Nepal cactus is actually really great, uh, you know, in protein, for example. So, um, you know, all of these a health coach also considers, it's not just about giving kind of general advice. Um, and, you know, it's not also, your, it's not your doctor's fault too, like, because they want to help you, but they only have certain amount of time. And that's not really their job scope right? Like they're also there to diagnose and help you out, um, physical checkup whatsoever. But a health coach job is really to like be there for you, supporting you. Um, if this doesn't work, what else can we find? There's always like an alternative. So circling back, that's just kind of how my practice works, I guess, in a private one-to-one. -one. It's really like, yeah, just always seeing like, okay, is this pace working for you? Uh, what is your approach? Um, and also having the client lead. Um, it's not, actually, health coaching is not about me telling them what to do. Um, I use images and videos to kind of illustrate what is happening in the body. For example, like leaky gut, I like to use like images and tell them like, look, look, this is what's happening. And they're like, wow. <laughs> so like, those are really good tools. I always use images. Um, 
or stories, I guess. Like if I talk about detoxification, it's about, you know, taking out the trash and all that kind of thing. So um, that's basically how I work with in my practice in one-to-one setting. Um, and that usually yields quite a bit of progress. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, my, my role in physiotherapy is to like teach you the exercises, but you know, it's like, I'll say, you know, I'll tell my clients, but I can't do them for you. So like, you know, let's talk about strategies. Like, so when they come in and they're like, well, I didn't really do my exercises as much as I wanted to. I mean, I try to break down some of those things because there could be barriers. There could be life. There could be, you know, um, all sorts of reasons. And I think that you're right, that the, that getting into that space where we're providing an opportunity for people to talk about like what's really going on, why, you know, what's behind your, you know, what's the barriers to you implementing this. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's again, when you think about like really changing your health, it's not a magical pill, right? So you can't just like, you know, exercise for a day or eat vegetables for a day. And you're like, woo, um, you know, it takes like dedication and, a, you know, a, a consistency. Right. And I think that's yeah. where you guys, um, where like that profession is really stepping forward to be like, we're on the ground, helping you make those consistent little steps forward so that like in three months you haven't been doing this on your own you know you don't want to be stuck in a cycle where you're beating yourself up for not doing something that you should be doing like you have somebody there basically supporting you in making this these changes that you know can be a little uncomfortable right because it's kind of outside of our daily patterns and our comfort zone um but you know, if you make the changes, the transformation is the, like the potential for transformation is massive. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Like consistency is, is the, is the goal. Like, um, it's totally fine. Also like, you know, my clients, sometimes they still go back to in and out sometimes, but like all of the symptoms are so much better. So then And then they would be like, I just had the burger, but then now I feel so shitty about myself or like, I feel so bad. Like, I know this isn't working anymore. So then, you know, they start to feel empowered and be like, I actually, sometimes I welcome that. Like, yeah, go have that thing again and see how you feel. Right. And so that's how they really learn. And that's the other piece too, right? I mean, if you give your body the things that it needs, you create a bigger buffer zone. So that's that you true. Want yeah. to cheat on that burger once a month or once a quarter, you know, it's like you're mm-hmm. great. We've built in a buffer for your body to be able to tolerate that. It just can't do that all the time. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe you do have that and then you realize, oh yeah, like I really, really do not feel good when I, when I eat this or do this. And then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, that just helps me further understand that like, that's just something that, you know, the, I'm not going to do anymore. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, if we start going into the all or nothings, you know, that's also yeah. can be really difficult, like both mentally and emotionally. Right. But it's like, how can we, you know, how can we help you achieve your goal, build in a little bit of a buffer, you know, and then support you as you navigate through this process. 
Yeah, Madeline. And I just want to say right before we wrap up, like um, uh, usually a lot of like, if you're struggling with a lot of issues like autoimmune, like, you know, not just PCOS, but thyroid, whatever, layers upon layers. And it took so long for you to accumulate to get to that point. Um, when you're doing the healing, especially intensively, the first like one, two, six to eight months, just know that it is temporary. Um, you know, any elimination, whatever is temporary because you just want to get back to like a good foundation and then you can move forward. Um, I think when you come, when someone comes into that, from that mindset, it's so much easier to just keep moving forward rather than like, oh my God, I can't do gluten. I can't do without gluten for five months, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask about your podcast because you, have a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and what it's about? Sure. Um, so my podcast is called Thriving with Nourish Male Health. And I've had it for two years now. Um, it's a little more than 100 episodes. And I started, I started it because I wanted to share stories about women who have PCOS. Um, but I actually moved on to actually interview like certain guests um, on the show, like other practitioners and also other health coaches talking about various aspects of women's health, because I realized like, okay, I can talk about PCOS all day and food and all that, but there's also other things that come into play, like, you know, uh, body image or like peaceful, like eating, mindful eating, that sort of thing. So I've had a lot of um, authors and interviews on there. So if anyone's interested, you can go check it out. Amazing. And we'll put a link in the bio for people to easily access. Um, so Melissa, where can people find you, follow you, connect with you? Yeah. So people can find me on mainly on Instagram at nourishmailhealth. Um, they can go to nourishmail.com. That's my site where they can find like free downloads. They can also kind of like shop in my quote unquote store where it's like a lot of brands or products that I love to use um, that is more like hormone friendly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess that's where they can find me. Amazing. And we'll put all the links in the show notes to make it very easy for everybody to um, easily access and connect. Melissa, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and sharing your personal journey and sharing your information and what you do uh, with the world. Um, greatly appreciated, you know, having your time here. Well, thanks so much, Madeline. Like, I think your questions were very thought provoking and hopefully this helps your audience understand PCOS a little better um, and like, you know, navigate the confusing way of healing. Yeah. And of course, before we sign off, we'd like to thank our listeners for, you know, joining the podcast. Be sure to subscribe every week is a different topic about different things. Always uh, under the premise of helping you live a better life and showing you the variety of different ways that you might be able to do that. And so, yeah, so hit the subscribe button and of course, share out the episode because you don't know who you might be impacting simply by clicking the share button. On that note, have a great day and we'll connect with everybody on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.